If you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to take it and open it to the book of Acts, chapter 20, uh, and verse 13 uh, through 24 will be our reading for today. We've been walking through this book of Acts uh, for quite a while now, and uh, we started off looking at uh, Peter and the other uh, 12 disciples, and, and we looked at some other folks here and there, like Philip the Evangelist and, and other folks, but for the last several chapters, we've been focusing on the Apostle Paul and his missionary journeys. Uh, they started off with Barnabas as his partner, then on his second trip, Silas was his partner, and this is really uh, coming to the end of his third missionary journey uh, in which he is heading back towards Jerusalem. And the rest of the book of the Acts, once we get there, will all be, be about his time in Jerusalem and his time on the road to Rome, where he knows where God is sending him and taking him. So as we read uh, this scripture, in honor and reverence for the word of God, would you please stand with me as we read Acts chapter 20, and verse 13, beginning with 13 and going through 24. Paul went with, by land to Assos, where he had arranged for us to join him, while we had traveled by ship. He joined us there, and we sailed together to Mytilene. The next day, we sailed past the island of Chios. The following day, we crossed the island of Samos, and a day later, we arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided to sail on past Ephesus, for he didn't want to spend any more time in the province of Asia. He was hurrying to get to Jerusalem, if possible, in time for the festival of Pentecost. When we landed at Miletus, he sent a message to the elders of the church at Ephesus, asking them to come and meet him. When they arrived, he declared, You know that from the day I set foot in the province of Asia until now, I've done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. I have endured the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear. Either publicly or in your homes, I've had one message for Jews and Greeks alike. The necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and having faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. I am now bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city, that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Let us pray. Father, as we read... And as we consider the work given to the Apostle Paul, Father, may we reflect upon, may we be gripped by the mission, the ministry that you have for each of us. Bless the reading and the proclamation of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. As we think about this passage we read today, 
I'm not going to touch a lot of details on all those little places that he stopped. If you get out of Bible Atlas, you can, you can look and you can see where Paul is making this journey back around uh, from where he's been over in Greece. Uh, he's heading back to, around the Mediterranean, back toward Jerusalem. One thing I do want to say, just one little note I want to point out, is that uh, it's recorded here by Luke that Paul went the first little step of the journey by land while the rest of them went by sea. And there's no explanation of that at all. It's just mentioned. But other times like that are mentioned about the Apostle Paul. And it's, it stands out because as we've talked before, Paul was not a lone ranger. Paul was a team guy. Even though we hear about the Apostle Paul did this and that, as you notice, there's always people surrounding him, whether it's uh, Paul or whether it's Barnabas or Silas or Timothy or Luke or someone else. He always has folks with him. He's always uh, going uh, as, as part of a team effort. But here we see he goes by himself, and we see that in some other places. And to me, that stands out just as Jesus, the Bible says, would often withdraw to lonely places. Jesus, who is surrounded not only by his disciples all of the time, but most of the time by vast crowds and multitudes of people, the Bible says he withdrew to lonely places. If Jesus understood the need to get away, and to spend time with God. And if the Apostle Paul, whose life work was ministry, if he understood that need to get away, how much more do all of us need to get away? And in fact, I think we often do the very opposite. I think we, in our culture, in our world today, we are so afraid of being alone by ourselves with our own thoughts, just us and God. We'll do almost anything to keep that from happening. If we're in the car, the radio goes on. If we're trying to go to sleep at night, either our phone's in our hands or, or we're watching TV. Every single moment, we try to surround ourselves, fill ourselves with some type of entertainment, some type of news, some type of diversion, some type of something to where we're never in that place when it's just us alone by ourselves and God because we're afraid he might speak to us. We might have to face our own humanity, our own struggles, our own sins that we have overlooked and forgotten about, that we've swept under the rug. Maybe, just maybe, if we got alone by ourselves, we might have to face those things. And we do our absolute best to crowd out our conscience, the Holy Spirit speaking to us and teaching us. We do the exact opposite of what God's word and the life of Jesus and the life of Paul tells us about getting away from everything and everyone, turning off the TV, turning off the phone. Yes, you can do it. It is possible. You can lay it down and you can turn it off and you can turn off the radio and you can turn off TV and you can get by yourself and God and spend time with him. I challenge you, do it. As we move past this travel era, though, we see Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. And on the way back, he doesn't want to stop in Ephesus. He actually stops uh, at, at a town that's, that's uh, past Ephesus. But he summons the elders, not the whole church, 
Some have estimated by this time that the church at Ephesus might have had as many as 200 home churches already meeting. And, and remember, it wasn't until uh, the, the early 4th century that actual church buildings ra- were, were built and, and put in official places that, that looked like churches. The early church was all those people would gather uh, in homes. And they say there might have been as many as 200 different homes hosting meetings for Christians in Ephesus already at this point. But only the elders of the church come to see Paul. And he's got a message for them. And we're really just going to touch on the first half of that message today. Because Paul kind of does a two-part thing. Paul says, look, I want you to think about my ministry to you. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Paul's ministry to the Ephesians. And then second part, part two for next week is, now that you've thought about how my ministry went when I was with you, now I want you to think about the future and how you're going to live because of what you've seen and what you've heard, how, what you've lived with me. So today, as we go through up to verse 24, we're thinking about Paul's ministry to the Ephesians. What did it look like? It kind of breaks down into three different parts as Paul describes his ministry, and, and he knows they were there with him, they lived it, they saw it, and some of them are like, Paul, we know this. But Paul is reminding us, don't we all need to be reminded of things that we know? So often, someone will tell us, especially if it's a spouse. Now, remember, you've got such and such coming up. Oh, yeah, yeah, I knew about that. I hadn't thought about it at all, and I wouldn't have. But, yeah, I knew about that, right? We, we all need to be reminded of things that we already know. So the first part, when Paul describes his ministry Uh, among the Ephesians, the first thing he describes is his mindset, how he went about his ministry. He says, I worked among you humbly and with tears. In other words, I came in, I wasn't a big shot, I didn't kick my feet up on the desk, and I didn't say, I'm an apostle, you better treat me right. He came in, and he worked hard, and he was humble, and it says, with tears he worked. In other words, this wasn't just a professional thing. This is his heart was in it. I gave you all of my personal concern. I gave you my heart and soul to minister among you. Remember that as an example. Humble, personal ministry. He says, remember that I was enduring the trials of those Jews who set out against me. And remember, Paul himself is a Jew, but these were uh, Jews who were opposed him for preaching Jesus as the Messiah. I endured trials. Remember those trials. He says, I spoke with boldness. <clears throat> as we read here, think about what he said, how he said this. In verse twenty. He says, I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. Why does Paul say, I never shrank back? Because he could have shrank back. Because he was tempted to shrink back. Because it would have been a lot easier for him to just sit back and not say some of the painful or hardful or difficult truths of God's word. But he says, I did not shrink back. I did not hesitate 
to speak to you boldly. Wherever you were, whether it was in the large group meeting in public or whether it was privately in a home. And so Paul had integrity, boldness, but also integrity. He wasn't that type of person who said, this is, this is my public face, this is my private face. <laughs> Guess which one I am. That's what we're left with sometimes, with people who are so different in different contexts. But Paul said, you know, I was just with you. I, I, the same. And so he wants them to note, he wants them to remember his example because what other example was there of Christians? The New Testament wasn't written yet. These were all new Christians, and they had to see how to live and how to walk. By the way, the Gospels weren't even written down yet. They were still being passed on as oral witnesses. They had not been yet recorded. And so he was saying, here's what it looks like to be a Christian leader as he spoke to these elders. Serve humbly, serve with your heart, endure trials, be bold to speak, have integrity. And he laid that out as, as the mindset that he took as he ministered to these people. Secondly, we see his message. He said, I've got one message. I don't twist it or change it. One message. Now, did Paul know his audience? Did he introduce that one message in different ways? Absolutely. When he was speaking with someone who was a Jew, he would start at a different place. Then he would speak uh, with a Greek who didn't know anything about Jehovah God. But eventually, those two paths would come together, and the central message of the gospel, he would not compromise. He shared that one message. And what was... That message. In verse 21, he says, I have had one message for Jews and Greeks alike. The necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and having faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That one message is the one message that every person on the face of the planet has to be confronted with. The message is that there is a God who has created this universe, that God who created each of you and all of us, all humanity has turned against him. We have all failed. We have all fallen. We've all sinned. And so to be right with God, there's two things that we do. We repent. That means we have a change of heart that means we leave behind our rebellion against God. It doesn't mean we go out and clean up our act, so to speak. God will clean up our act as we follow him and serve him. But we come to God, not rebelling against him, saying, God, I can't stand you, I hate you, but I want in this whole heaven deal, so I'm going to come to you. No, that's not the way it works. We come to God in repentance. We come before God humbly. We change our minds from a mind and a heart of rebellion against God towards God, towards him. We repent and we come to God humbly. And as we come to him, as we turn away from sin, we turn to Jesus Christ. And in faith, as we trust Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins, we trust him to forgive us of those sins. We trust that he paid the penalty that we should have paid. 
as we repent from our sin and as we turn toward Jesus Christ in faith, then and only then can we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul said, that's one message. That's the only Christian message. That's the only gospel message there is. If anybody adds anything or takes anything away, that's not the gospel that they're preaching. If they say, uh, come to God and he'll give you lots of stuff, that's not the gospel. If they say, come to God, just believe that he's out there, but keep living the way you want to, keep, keep rebelling against him, but just get the benefits and don't take the baggage, don't take all that repentance stuff, that's not the gospel. The gospel message that each of us must receive to have a relationship with God is that we repent of our rebellion, our sin against the Creator God, and we turn to God, and in faith, we accept what His Son, Jesus Christ, has done on the cross for us. That's it. That's the one way. That's the one gospel message. And Paul said, that's the message that I've preached over and over. Didn't matter who they were. That's the message. He gave them his mindset and his message. And then he reminded them of his mission. Verse 22, he says, And now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me. Except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus Christ. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Paul says, I really don't have an option at this point. Because I've surrendered my life to Jesus. And the Spirit of God has said, here's the way you're going. Not this way, not that way, but you're going toward Jerusalem. And that same Spirit of God, we don't know whether it's been spoken directly through him or through others. We know, we know from later on that other peoples have warned him, but maybe as well, specifically, he says, in city after city, the Spirit of God has warned me that jail and suffering await me. Boy, what a message. That's one that'll draw crowds, right? That's one that'll preach. Follow Jesus and jail and suffering will come. But that was the message. It wasn't a candy-coated, sugar-coated, make-believe, wish-whatever-you-want. It was the reality of Paul following Jesus Christ. That as he surrendered his life to God, God says, I'm preparing you. There are rough times ahead. As you follow me, as you're in the very center of my will, guess what's going to happen? You're going to go to jail and you're going to suffer. Paul says, I don't know exactly how that's all going to come about. I don't know what all the details are. I just know this is the big picture. But he says, you know what? My life is worth nothing. I mean, it's absolutely a big zero if I don't fulfill the mission that God has given me. And so, if there's some suffering, if there's some jail time, that's all right. Because my life is not about ease and comfort. I get people 
almost on a weekly basis that say, say to me, I mean, they don't even question. They just say to me as a fact, you know, God wants me to be happy, Pastor Tim. And then they go and blah, 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 blah. And they go on to tell me about what they're going to do in their lives and how they're going to force and what direction they're going to take. And it's all based on this premise, well, God wants me to be happy, and therefore, as if their happiness is at the center of the universe and God's plans. May I tell you that Jesus was not happy in the Garden of Gethsemane as he poured out his heart in prayer and he sweated tears as if blood. And he said, Father, if you can, save me from this hour. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. And if our own Lord and Savior Jesus Christ entered into suffering and hardship as he followed the will of God, you and I will just the same way. Jesus said that the servant is not greater than the master. And if our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ experienced suffering and hardship, you and I will experience the same thing. Does God bring joy to our lives? Absolutely, he does. God brings boundless joy. We have countless reasons to thank him and praise him. I'm not saying the Christian life is a total drudge. Paul's life wasn't a total drudge. But there is a reality, there is a part of God's message that we have to believe if we're really going to get the whole thing. And that is, in this life... There's some suffering that everybody gets. The Bible says the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. But guess what? There's going to be some hard times that you face simply because you're following Jesus. And so if you start your decision-making process, when you start to think, well, here's what I'm going to decide. Here's the direction I go. If you start, rather than what does Jesus want from me, how is he going to be glorified? How is, he going to be make, how is God going to make me more like Jesus? If you, instead of starting there, if your decision-making process starts with fact number one, incontrovertible, God wants me to be happy. And then you start trying to make your decisions based on that. You're not often going to end up where God wants you to go. God wants you to have joy and fulfillment and meaning and purpose. Something deeper than momentary pleasure, entertainment, or happiness in your life. That's exactly what Paul understood. That's why he said, a little bit of jail time? A lot of jail time. Uh, a little, some suffering? You know what? All that stuff doesn't matter compared to me fulfilling my purpose in Jesus Christ. He surrendered. God, what you want is what I want. Not that I necessarily choose the jail over the Hilton. But hey, if that's where you want me to spend a night, that's where I'm going to spend a night. And, and, and I'd prefer to have plenty. But if I'm going to be in want, if I'm going to be in need, if I'm going to, you know, have it a little tight right now, that's okay. It was all about his purpose in Jesus Christ. What was his life mission? To tell others the good news about the wonderful grace of Jesus Christ. So what did Paul want out of his people? 
He wanted them to respond to this message. He goes on to say in verse 25, listen to this. And I know, now I know, that none of you to whom I have preached the kingdom will ever see me again. I declare today that I have been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault. Literally there, the verse says, the blood is not on my hands. For I didn't shrink from declaring all that God wants you to know. Paul invokes the Old Testament imagery of the watchman at the tower. And if he doesn't do his job, if he doesn't watch for the enemies approaching, then the blood of the people who die is on his hands for failing to warn about the approaching enemy. And Paul says, I haven't failed to warn you. I've told you the whole message. My time with you is done. I'm probably not ever going to see you again in this life. But I want you to know you got the whole message. You got the real thing. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not certain like the Apostle Paul who said, I'm done here. I won't see you again. You know, I hope to preach here another 20, 30, 40 years, however long the, the Lord allows me. But it's not guaranteed that I make it home today. It's not guaranteed that any of us make it home today. And so I want to be clear that all of us understand that one message, that every single one of us have a choice to make. We have to decide, what am I going to do with God? What am I going to do with Jesus? Am I going to play like I'm a religious person and I'll just kind of go along with the benefits of a, of a loving church family, but really I won't surrender myself to God? Or are we actually going to come to God, repenting and turning from the sin and rebellion in our hearts and putting our faith in Jesus Christ? If you and I don't do that, if you've never done that, and the Bible says that you're condemned already to an eternity away from God in a place called hell. Every single one of us needs to deal with that very solemn and serious fact that there's an eternity that one day we'll face our maker. Not only that initial decision to follow Jesus Christ, though, because the Bible says, records Jesus saying, and, and it was recorded several times. It was really important. He wanted us to get, Jesus said, if anyone wants to be my disciple, they've got to deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me daily. If you want your religious, your Christian experience to be more than something that you look back upon in the past, once upon a time, I, I did such and such, and it was so sweet and it was so great. If you want your experience with God to be relevant, to be real, to be vibrant in your day-to-day -day life, then each and every day, you and I have to wake up and say, God, today, today I deny 
myself again. That is the sinful, selfish desires of my heart. Instead, God, I want what you want. We deny ourselves. We take up our cross. God, whatever is still left in me of the old man, the old person, the old sinful nature that lives within me, God, crucify it. Kill me. That old flesh in me, that old stuff that tempts me towards sin. God, take that away from me. Break it down a little bit more. Make me more like Jesus. And let me follow you. Each and every one of us have our calling. Paul's was toward Jerusalem. I, I don't know where yours is, but I know this. He has called you to live a life of commitment and faith, of daily surrender to Jesus Christ. Have you come to him in repentance and faith? And now, are you walking with him? Believer, if you know, yes, I believed five years ago, ten years ago, many years ago, whenever it was. But are you walking with him today? Are you pleasing Jesus through how you live? It begins with a daily commitment to surrender to him. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I come to you and Lord, I pray I pray that you would make my heart the way it needs to be. Father, that you'd forgive me of my own fears and failures and faults. Father, help us all to come to you in faith, in repentance for our sins. God, I pray as we have this time together and where we have a chance to say, yes, Jesus. Yes, I want to walk with you in a way that I never have before. Yes, Jesus, I want to know you. And God, that we would take that chance. We would reach out and we would follow you. And God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.